Well, really good to see all of you here this morning. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15, I noticed there's an extra gift up here, like the one last remaining Christmas gift right here. Whoa, okay. You know, this is a, a gift for a special person. Let's see if I can find that person here. Hmm. I'm looking, looking. I'm looking for people that are putting their heads down, right? Okay. Um, I think I have a gift for you, Emerson. Hey, would you like this? Yeah, why don't you come and join me on the stage? You're going to give... It's going to be okay. Well, do you, would it help if your mom came with you or your brother? I have something that I think you're going to like. She, she's too nervous? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I will. I'll help you with this, okay? All right. So, um, can you open the gift for me? Okay. I'll, I'll help you even. Okay. Okay, this is, I didn't wrap this. That's why it's perfect, okay? And it's, it's really good. Okay, all right, I got that ribbon off there. Okay, can you help me with that paper? All right, Emerson is doing good. Oh, sweet. Do you know what this is? You do? What, what is it? It's a Lego set, and it's the friend set, right? Oh, man. Okay, and so how does this work? So if I just open this box, it's, this entire house is like that? No? What, what do you mean? That's what the picture shows. It's in pieces? Well, you show me. You want to open that up for me? Oh, you were right. Oh, there's lots of pieces, huh? Whoa. Oh, man. How, so you just kind of put that all together? Is that how this works? Okay. And so, like, you just, you would make that? What, is there something else you need? You need instructions? Is that in here? Oh, wait. Is this important? Oh, man. This wasn't how I had Legos when I was a kid. This thing, do you have to take a college class to read through this? Oh, my goodness. These are the instructions? So how does this work? You read it? Do you have to just, you follow the instructions? And if you follow the instructions, will you end up looking at building this friend's house like this? That's how it works. What if you don't follow the instructions? What will it look like? It will not look like this, huh? So it's per, this is pretty important? Yeah, it is. Well, I want, you a, I want you to have this gift, okay? Follow these instructions, and your house will look like this. And you tell me when you build it, okay? Probably not. Not right now, but maybe this week, okay? All right, Emerson, thank you so much. So, you know, like Emerson just gave us some really information, interesting information, things that you and I really need to know. See, in order for her to build that friend's house, just like she said, Emerson told us, you've got to follow the instructions, right? And if you don't, it's not going to end up looking like it was intended, and I tell you this because you and I, who have come to really know Jesus, and we have found him to be our hope. He's our forgiveness. We understand the whole significance of Christmas is that hope is born for us. 
Hope is born because God, the eternal son, has entered into humanity, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross, paid for our sins, and is resurrected. In him we have hope. But here's the deal. We've received Jesus, and we received the hope in him, but so often our lives aren't filled with hope. In fact, we would think like, man, I, life should be much more hopeful than it is, and I find myself pretty distracted and discouraged, maybe even depressed. And do you remember what Emerson told us? You have to follow the instructions. And friends, if you really want to live in the hope that we have in Christ, you have to follow the instructions that God has given us. And friends, I am so glad you're here this morning because the passage we're going to look at in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, it's the instructions on how to live in the hope that we have in Christ. And this will make all the difference in our lives when we, through the power of His Spirit, put this passage into play in our lives. And we live in the hope of Christ when we live by building each other up. Take a look, Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. So he says, we who are strong, we who have our identity in Christ, we actually have strength because of our relationship in him. We are living in hope We have strength. Do you know what we're called to do? We're called to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength. The weaknesses physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Uh, Perhaps some of the people that he was talking uh, talking about that were weak were brand new Christians that came out of Judaism. And yet there was a propensity to want to go back and to follow the law in a legalistic way. And, and you see that even today. People who are Christians, and yet they just like, just tell me what to do. And I, I want Christianity to be formulaic. I want to know when I'm supposed to stand up, sit down, bow down. I want to know what the rules are so I keep God happy. It's called legalism. And, and, it's, and every time you kind of break one of those rules, you just feel terrible and and you don't really understand grace, he's saying, you who are strong, you know about grace. You know about the the life that we have in Christ. We are to do what? To bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Pleasing ourselves. Are you familiar with that? I am. I've I've seen that. Before knowing Christ, that was me all about pleasing myself. And maybe you can relate like, okay, yeah, I could definitely see that what I want is pretty much what I do. But you know, I have found that even after placing my faith in Christ, I can still have that orientation about what do I want, pleasing myself. And I know I'm not alone because even Christians kind of approach life oftentimes with kind of a consumer mentality. What's in it for me? I like this, I don't like that, and after all, life is all about me. He's saying, you who are strong, that's actually the position of weakness. But when you have strength, 
When you have what is called maturity to a degree, it, you move past just what do I want and what makes me happy to how I can be pleasing to others. In fact, that's what he says, verse 2, verse two he says, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Each of us who are living in the hope of Christ, you know what we're to do? We're to actually be pleasing to our neighbor. We're to be uh, encouraging. You could even maybe say life-giving to our neighbors, the people in our lives, our family, our spouse if we are married, our actual neighbors in our community, uh, the people we work with or go to school with. We develop a mindset where we want to help people grow and develop. In fact, that's what he says, verse 2, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. It has the idea that you are building people up. And so if you really want to live in the hope that we have in Christ, then you have to follow the instructions. The instructions are stop thinking about yourself. This life is not just about you. It's really about God and how God's going to work in you to build up others. Uh, when he talks about like edification and speaks of the fact like you will show concern for an individual, you will listen, you will see how you might be helpful in processing a difficulty they're going through or how to take that next steps of growth, um, to think about opportunities and like what and helping them to discern God's will in them. All of this is edification, helping people grow in their relationship with Christ. You want to help people move past just, well, I just um, know that I'm a Christian, but I don't really grow, but actually what it means to know the fullness of maturity in Christ, to even be mobilized and equipped for ministry, to experience the fullness of what God would have for an individual, that's what it means to build another up. And when we do that, you know what we're doing? Why we're living in the hope that we have in Christ. But here's the problem. We have hope in Christ. We believe, we get Christmas, and we actually worship Jesus. But so often, we're not living in his hope. Do you know why? Because we haven't really embraced the reality that we're to be building each other up. In fact, let me tell you what this looks like. Oftentimes, we just ignore people, right? Um, interesting. The Columbia School of Business has done three different studies on the effects of ostracism, especially in the workplace. And uh, it's been really rather fascinating what they have found. What they find is that to ostracize someone, to ignore them, to treat them as if they don't even exist, is even more damaging and harmful than if you were mean to them or um, treated them poorly or rudely. Because at least if you do that, you acknowledge that they're not there. But you know what happens is that we kind of just follow this little motto. If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, right? If you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And so you see people and you're like, I don't really care about them. They're in the way. I don't really, not interested in them. So you know what we do? We just ignore people. We see people that are different than us. People that make, like their issues maybe are even obvious. 
And guess what we do? We isolate. We turn away, we look away, we ignore. In fact, it may have even happened this morning. You saw someone like, "Eh, I don't really know him, whatever, and and you just move past him. I'll tell you why we do this. Two reasons. Insecurity, we are so insecure in ourselves, like, like, you're just always moving around to to ignore everybody, or you are so self-centered, you are you're pleasing yourself, and that's not what you're interested in. You're not interested in sharing your heart with another or, or caring or even engaging in a conversation because it's not what you're into right now. You're pleasing yourself. God is seeking to break us of this so that we will live in his hope. We'll be building others up. And let's just talk about this for a minute. All of us have issues, right? Is there anybody here that you'd say, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I kind of think I've, I've arrived. I'm, I'm hitting a high level of perfection. Please, I mean, this would be a great time, and we'd... Nobody? Really? That's right. We've all got issues, imperfections. Uh, you know what it's called, like, when you're working on a, a new website, and um, you put it out, on, and it's online, but not all the kinks have been worked out. In fact, it might even still crash. Not all the tabs quite work the way they're supposed to, but yet it generally works, and so you go live with it. You know what we call that? It is called a beta version, right? And so it's live, but it's got some issues, right? I want you to know that that's what we are. We are beta Christians. We're alive, right? But we've got some issues. Not everything works. Um, we haven't really grown and figured out maturity in every aspect of life. In fact, sometimes we, we crash. Sometimes the information that should be there isn't. What is needed is that we treat one another with grace. We move past, like the text says, from just pleasing ourselves to how could I build up and be pleasing to another? How can I be a blessing to another person? And friends, when we move forward like this, it makes all the difference. And you're saying like, okay, give me an example. What does that really look like? Are you ready? I've got the ultimate example of what it looks like to live for another, to be a blessing, to build another up. You ready? Ultimate example, next verse. You're going to find it right there. Look at verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. The ultimate example he gives is Christ himself. And this quote here is from Psalm 69, verse 9, and it is profound. It is the son of God, the eternal Son of God, saying to the Father, the reproaches, the insults that were cast toward you, the Son of God says, I will take on your behalf. This gives you a whole new understanding of Christmas, that Jesus came to take the reproaches that were cast upon the Father, the insults, the rebellion, the wickedness, 
The using of God's name in vain, the total disregard of God and his glory and his people, how life is meant to be, the rejection of his word, all of the hypocrisy, all of the sin, he came for the purpose of taking it on himself. That, my friends, not only gives us salvation and forgiveness, he becomes our example. In fact, that's what he says in verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. We're to have, like Paul says in Philippians 2, this attitude which was found in Christ Jesus. How can I be pleasing to you? And friends, when we do this, you know what happens? Why we're living in the hope that we have in Christ. It'll change everything. And so, just like Emerson told us, you've got to follow the directions. If you really want to move forward in hope, this is how you build. This is what God is seeking to do in my life and your life. We build one another up in love. And this is, this is what parents do imperfectly. But, you know, as parents, what are we trying to do? We're trying to help our kids grow in every respect, right? Physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, intellectually. We're always investing, trying to help them grow. Now, we're not perfect, right, kids? Our parents aren't perfect. Please don't think your parents are perfect. But I want you to know, we're giving it our best shot. And it's not always easy. In fact, sometimes as kids, we can make it kind of hard for our parents, right? But I want you to know that parents are committed to your growth as kids. God is committed to, his, to our growth because we are his kids. But we want to take steps forward, building one another up. And that's what a parent does. And when we take that mindset like, oh, I get it with parents, we realize that's what I'm to look like in another person's life. And friends, when we, uh, when we see this put into action... It has a profound effect in our lives. Others notice. There was a, an incident that took place. Well, incident's probably not the right word, but it was um, maybe a, a life-changing experience for those who watched it. There was an American Airlines flight from Atlanta to Chicago, July 2004. Um, nine U.S. soldiers who had been serving in Iraq were given a two-week leave, and they were going to be on that flight and so, uh, you know how it works when you're flying, right? Who gets to get on the airplane first, right? The first-class people. Wait, that's not, I probably shouldn't say it that way. Those who have first-class tickets, right? But you kind of feel first-class, like, I don't know. But you, what happens is all the first-class people, right? You've got first-class seats. You get seated. The seats are much bigger than those in coach in the cattle class, right? You know, and you're all spread out. You have someone that's making sure that you have everything you want, little special drinks. You want some food? You want ice cream? We got ice cream for you, you know? And so they're all, everything's all taken care of. You want a little blanket? We put that on you. Here's an extra pillow. And, um, and then you know what they do? Then they bring everybody else that's going to coach class. And you have to, you know, pass through first class. You know, you're dragging your suitcases and your kids, right? You know how you're going through there? And you see these people in first class, and it's such a beautiful, pleasant experience, you know? And your kids are crying, your suitcase just broke, you know, and the wheel doesn't function, right? And it's rough out there. And you go, you know, I wonder what it would be like to be in first class, right? That's, and it's by design. They want you to think like, you know what? 
it's worth that extra $500 for that flight to get that, that seat there. You too can be there, right? But on this particular flight, when these soldiers who had been serving in Iraq boarded, and uh, just as they kind of turned and got onto the plane, one of the people in first class put their hand up and said, hey, got the stewardess said, I want that soldier to have my seat. Would you put me in coach class where he's going to be seated? And so the steward's like, we, well, yeah, I mean, we, we don't usually do this. And, and then one by one, nine of them, as each soldier went, came on, said, me too. Huh, my, my seat? That gal right there? I, I, want, I want her to be in my seat. I want you to know that had a profound effect on everyone who witnessed it. In fact, Davila Evans, the flight attendant, on that American Airlines flight said this, quote, It was a privilege to be flying with those two groups of unselfish people, those who had put their lives on the line to protect their fellow citizens' freedom and those who were not ashamed to say thank you. Friends, if you and I want to live in the hope that we have in Christ, like that's going to be our life, then we need to be intentional about building each other up. There's another part of the directions that you need to understand about building this kind of life and seeing God have us living in hope, and that is that we are growing deep in God's word. Look at verse 4. And whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written in earlier times, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, he says, this was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would live in what? Hope, which means that this Bible this isn't like an ornament that you like, oh, pull out of the backseat of the car because I'm going to go to church. Actually, God intends for us to be in this book so that we would persevere and we would be encouraged because God encourages his people with what? His word. That's how it works. The spirit of God takes the scriptures and it becomes the fuel that brings hope to our life. And we persevere. Persevere has the idea that you keep moving forward despite difficulty, challenge, discouragement, barriers. You, got, you get knocked down in this life. I, I want you to know that uh, life is hard, and it, it really can weigh you down. I, I've got these experiences. There's sometimes that, you know, I get up in the morning, and it's like I don't even get out of bed, and I'm like, oh, my oh, this, this is going to be challenging, or that this, this is such a difficulty, and I don't even know how God is going to resolve it. And you just feel, like, weighed down by the whole thing. And um, I don't know about you, but, like, my mind's kind of, like, rolling and really thinking a lot about these things, and, and next thing you know, you're, you're pretty discouraged, and you've only been up for, like, two minutes. For me personally, I've got to get into this book. Uh, so to just open up the Bible... And have God change my perspective and my orientation. And 
that's what he does. You see, when we actually read the scriptures, God uses this word to renew our perspective, to remind us that he's God. There are no limitations to him, to give us peace, to help fill us with joy, to keep focusing us on Jesus. I mean, the Bible, when I read through the Bible, I see examples of people that blew up their lives. I see examples of people that walked by faith. I see people that trusted God when it made no sense. And you know what that does for a guy like me? It like renews my hope in God. And that's exactly why he gave us the word. Not all of the Old Testament is written to you, but all of it is written for you. And he fully intends that we would be a people of the book. Paul uh, wrote about this in his final letter. The last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote is to his protege, a guy by the name of Timothy, 2 Timothy. He wrote it shortly before he was executed. You always want to pay attention when someone who knows they're going to die soon talks with you because they're going to tell you what they think is most important. Listen up. And that's what Paul does in 2 Timothy. And he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God wants to build you up. He wants you to have strength. He wants you to have skills. He doesn't want you always living by your emotions and flying off with rage and anger and and just always being discouraged all the time. He wants you to have gravitas, strength in him. And the only way that we'll have that kind of encouragement and be able to persevere is if we do as this scripture says. We are persevering and encouraged by the scriptures. And when we do, we have hope. You know, the Bible is kind of like fuel for our lives. You know, you understand this. Um, if you have a car, I, I love when this happens. Just kidding. When you're driving and all of a sudden the little light comes on to tell you you're almost out of gas. I'm like, no, it's not convenient. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm so busy, like, I don't have time to go to the gas station. I don't, are you serious? Oh, but I know, I'm smart enough to know that if, if I don't like actually fill up, then at some point I'm going to be stranded on the side of the road and my problems are going to be much worse, right? So I know, I'm smart enough to know that I've got to get to a gas station and fill up. You see, that's true in our lives spiritually as well. When you see, man, I'm, I have no peace, a lot of anger, um, I've, I've lost sight of God. I've, I don't feel like worshiping. I don't worship. I don't really want to be in the Word. I don't want to be around Christians. And I, I, I don't want to share my faith. I, I'm not interested in growth. Uh, you, I want you to know these are all indicators, time to fuel up. And the only way you can fuel up is if you're in the Word. And so as you come into 2022, I don't know what your personal practices are, but I would encourage you Find a time, even if it's just for a few minutes, to fuel your soul with the truth of God's word. Because that's how we live in hope, when we're growing deep in God's word. And you know what really paralyzes us in life? 
fear. I have found in my years of being a pastor that fear paralyzes so many people. They're afraid of this, that, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And you can almost move to a place where you hardly are even moving. It's because of fear. Let me tell you, tell you the one thing that is stronger and greater than fear. Hope. Hope will cause you to move forward. And who gives hope? God does. And he does it through his word. So friends, if we're going to live in the hope that we have in Christ, we want to be building each other up. We want to go growing deep in God's word. But notice how this passage ends. We want to be living for God's glory. Take a look at this. Look at verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement. Isn't that what you need? Perseverance. The ability to keep moving forward despite the difficulties and the challenges and how you don't feel like it, right? I mean, life just knocks you down and you're down on the ground, but you can get back up. Who gives you that strength? God does. That's exactly right. So that you can persevere. And notice what else he gives us. He gives you encouragement. Grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? God gives us encouragement, the ability to persevere, and we are to do this with one another. Remember how the text began? Don't be just like looking to please yourself. That's the self-centered perspective. But here he's telling us it's all about one another. We're in a body. We need each other. And here's the game changer. Don't live for yourself. Life isn't about you. Live for the glory of God. Do you see it right there? Right there in the text, verse 6. So that with one accord, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says then in verse 7, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. When we are living for God's glory, you know what happens? All of a sudden, we start living in his hope. Because that's how life is meant to be is designed. It's meant to be lived. Not about just, what do I want? What do I get out of this? Will this make me happy? To God, how can I glorify you? How is it that my life can bring exaltation to you? And he told us, you got to follow the directions. Just like Emerson, in order to build that little Lego set, she has to follow the directions. So do we. Building one another up. Growing deep in his word and living for God's glory. Friends, this will make all the difference in our lives. You see, how it works is this. We live with Christ's hope as a way of life when we love one another from the heart. If I was to sum it up for you, I would just put it that way. We live in Christ's hope as a way of life when we love one another from the heart. We do so not just because, well, I always want people to like me, and so if I, if I live like this, people will think more highly of me. That's all great, but that's just merely a byproduct. We're living for the glory of God himself. And friends, if we will follow the instructions that God has given us, 
we're going to see God put our life together just the way he intended. It's going to be beautiful, powerful, influential. It is fullness. It's what your soul yearns for, and it's what God is looking to build in all of our lives. There's a, a couple that you probably have heard their name, uh, Sean and Leanne Tui. You remember the, the movie Blindside? Michael Orr? Remember the college and NFL offensive lineman? Remember that? Well, this same couple wrote a book called Heartbeat. And in that book, they write of a friend of theirs, a, a senator, who told them about a congressional program that exists. It's not well known, but it's a program that exists for kids that age out of the foster care system that they can become actually interns for a congressman or a congresswoman. And uh, so this senator was telling them that they had this, um, this intern that came from this program that gets foster kids. And by the way, I want you to know, that can be pretty tough and if you age out of the foster care system and, and you don't have anywhere to go, I tell you, this is like a golden opportunity. So they had brought on this kid, uh, this intern. The senator said that uh, he came into the office and he was making his way through and he walked through the mail room and uh, like, whoa, usually the mail room was a disaster. But here, this new intern that they picked up from the foster care system, of all things, he had completely arranged everything, put everything in its place. It was neat, efficient. And he, like, looked around, and he saw this new guy, and he said, hey, did you do this? And he said, yeah, yeah, I got up here early. I thought I'd try to be helpful. I cleaned it all up, got everything in place. And he said, man, wow, I'll tell you what, this place has never looked so good. Great job. And he left. You know, he's a senator, he's busy. Gets to his office, does some things. A little bit, just, just a little bit later, he comes back out of his office, walks back through the mailroom, and there's the intern, and uh, he's crying. He's got tears on his face. Like, Whoa! He's like, wait, wait a second here. I'm sorry. Did I say something? To, did I hurt your feelings? What, what happened? What's going on here? Why are, why are you crying? And this young man said, that was the first time anyone in my life has ever said that I've done something good. <laughs> the first time anyone has ever said, you've done something good. Good job. Friends, I want you to know a little bit of encouragement can go a long ways. And if, if we don't do this, can I just ask, who will? You know, the one group of people that should be the most encouraging, looking to love one another from the heart, you know who it should be? It should be the church, right? Because we have the hope that is in Christ, and that's what God is doing he is calling us to continue to excel in this ability to love one another from the heart. And when we do so, friends, you know what? We're living in his hope. And just some kind words, us being intentional, us living this passage out, why, it can make all the difference. 
I was reading of uh, an event in Jackie Robinson's life. You remember Jackie Robinson. He's the first African-American to break the color barrier um, in the uh, in national baseball. Uh, they've written many books about his life, even a movie. But do you know that his, his career just almost ended tragically short? Uh, and it happened when he was playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And, uh, you know, like all of the nation was watching him. I mean, do you know how tough it was for him? Just put yourself in his place. There were a lot of people just waiting for him to mess up. And he did. He, he had an error as a second baseman. And, uh, and he knew it. But his hometown, the home crowd... The Brooklyn Dodger fans, after he made his error, you know what they did? They started booing and hissing him. Someone else has read this. They started mocking him. And Jackie Robinson just got down there. He's just standing there at second base, you know, and he just, and he's taking it all in. You know, when we go to our games, by the way, and you are mocking and if you boo people and hiss them when they make a mistake, I, <laughs> I want you to know, those athletes out there, they're people. They're not droids. They're not machines. They're people like you. In fact, they're out on the field. And Robinson is down on his knees, and he's listening to that as his home crowd is booing him. And then the shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, he jogged over there, and he put his arm around Jackie Robinson, stood him up, and then he had him turn and face the crowd that was booing him and hissing. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, all those mouths just got shut. And it became completely silent in the stadium. And Jackie Robinson would let her say, later say this. That arm that Pee Wee put around me, that saved my career. Friends, I want you to always remember that. Just a simple act of kindness. Being secure enough in Christ to be able to make a difference in another person's life, why, friends, that will make all the difference. And you know, let me tell you, that's how we live in the hope that we have in Christ. We live with Christ's hope as a way of life when we love one another from the heart. And so as we close our worship service today, I want to give you an opportunity for you to talk to God to ask him, what would it look like in your life specifically, in your sphere, in your family, your home, your neighborhood, your school, your place of work, and our church, if, if we continue to take these next steps of just living in the hope that we have in Christ? Think of what a difference. Think of the growth. Think of the glory that is given to God. So let's pray. So you want to bow your heads, and I, I just want to give you a minute to talk with God about what we've read. And would you ask him, what would it look like to follow the directions he's given us so that the life that he intended would truly be ours? Building each other up, growing deep in God's word, and living for God's glory. So in your spheres of influence, would you ask God right now to give you a glimpse of what that could look like and for the faith and the grace and the strength 
to do this. And I'll close us in a minute in prayer.